Do I just jump in, or do you introduce Yes. Me? Who is that extra voice? Jump in. Lassa, I think you should introduce her. Like, you should say, like, and, and this week we have a guest. I think he tried to do that, and then I just panicked. So, really? Okay, he's going to do that in one second. Yeah. We're both composing ourselves over here. Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we're feeling it. If this is your first time joining us. Welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Okay, welcome everyone to the Feeling It podcast. We're glad to have you with us. Um, today, we're going to be talking about what we're feeling this week. Like always, we always talk through what we're feeling in the realms of pop culture, entertainment, and more. We're going to go to a little bit of film news um, and then get into our main segment about the podcast S-Town. So before we get started, let's go around and introduce ourselves. Um, and when you do, let us know what your favorite piece of entertainment about time travel is in honor of the clock-making uh, main subject of the S-Town podcast. I'm Sandra Omstetz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And my favorite time travel movie is, of course, a time travel rom-com called About Time with Rachel McAdams and Donald Gleason. Um, it's just so, so sweet, and I love it. Uh, I'm Lucas Ryder, designer in the Bay Area, and my favorite piece of time travel media is Back to the Future. And I am Lawson Soward, an art director from Nashville, Tennessee. And my favorite piece of my favorite piece of uh, entertainment about time travel is Clockstoppers, the 2002 film with the song "First Date" by Blink-182 in the trailer. Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> I freaking loved that movie. I think part of the appeal of it is that I time travel a little bit every time I even think about it. Just go back to when I watched it there the first go. time. There you go. <laughs> And today, we're excited to announce that we have a fourth chair, a fourth person recording with us. That is one, Linda J. Bailey. Linda, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Linda Bailey. I also live in Nashville. I work for a nonprofit, so I'm not totally qualified to be here, but I'm really excited <laughs> to be here. Um, my favorite piece of entertainment about time travel is also about time, Sandra. I know, and we saw it together. So yeah, that's yeah, probably we why did. It I is. cried very hard when we saw that. I remember. <laughs> that should be like the new oh sociopath test: is if you do not cry in about time, there's something missing. Probably. Uh, yes, of course. That is exactly <laughs> how that should work. <laughs> Lucas, did you not cry in about time? Is that what you're of, trying to say? Of course not. Of course I didn't cry. Are you serious? Have you seen it? Not even when they're running on yeah. the beach, holding hands, father, son. No. Uh, <laughs> that, uh... Lucas obviously doesn't I... have the daddy issues that the rest of the panel has. <laughs> <laughs> <So>, let's... Yeah. <laughs> let's okay. just move on. Maybe that's Pride the real Fast and the Furious, but not in About Time, okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, we're going to move into next what we're feeling this week. Uh, Sandra, do you want to kick it off? Yes. This week, I am feeling 
a show that I've already talked about on this podcast before, but a brand new season just came out, so I'm going to talk about it again. I'm feeling the third season of Grace and Frankie. It's a Netflix original show starring Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. Um, In case you missed the episode where I talked about it before and you are living under a rock and you've never heard about Grace and Frankie, it's the beginning of the show is about... Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are married to these two men that are partners at a law firm together. And in the very first episode, their husbands announce to them that the two of them are leaving their wives um, to be with each other. Um, these two husbands have been having an affair with each other this entire time, their, throughout their entire marriage, and um, these wives are, are now being left. And the two of them forge this unlikely friendship between the two between each other. Um, so it's in its third season. And by this point in the show, these characters are so fun to be around. They all are this really great big family unit that I really love watching. And the he- comedy of the show is really what keeps me coming back. I think that Lily Tomlin is just one of the gems of this world. She is so amazingly funny and talented. And her and Jane Fonda to be doing this show in their late 70s and kicking ass at it is just so lovely and exciting to watch. Um, I want to play one particular joke from this third season that really had me cracking up. And in case you're wondering, this joke doesn't really need any context. It's really just a moment from a conversation where Lily Tomlin's character, again, just continues to wow me. Is the second set of my car keys that disappeared down that sewer grate. I didn't drop this set, you did. Yeah, because you screamed, he's after you! Because I thought I saw a bat, and had it been a bat, which I realize now it was not, it would have been rabbit, and you'd be thanking me for saving your life. Well, you're the one that keeps hanging fruit in the trees with a sign that says, for bats. They have to eat. (laughs) (laughs) This show is full of such amazing dialogue like that, um, that I just can't even keep track of, because it's one after another, and... Uh, in addition to like such great humor, both dialogue and physical humor, um, this show just has amazing di- romantic relationships, familial relationships, um, and friendship relationships. It really covers everything about the relationships between parents and children, between brothers and sisters, between lovers, between close friends that you've decided to live your life with. Um, I love these characters and these stories that they're choosing to tell. Um, and this, it's also like a super sexually free show, which of course mm-hmm. I'm always on board with. Of so course. I'm, of course, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Grace and Frankie and this third season has continued to like, wow me. Actually, this is one show that I am extremely embarrassed that I haven't seen yet. <laughs> yeah. Lucas. It's, I've heard so many good things and I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm doing it. I'm doing it, guys. Good. Next marathon. <laughs> one of the Stay best tuned to Lucas's also... Twitter feed. <laughs> one of the best things I can also say about Grace and Frankie is that it's so easy to watch. It's usually like 10 to 13 episodes, and they're 30-minute episodes. And Love that. They're... I didn't know there was 30 minutes. Yeah, they're just so digestible, and they're so pleasant. Um, 
that mm. like if you need to like cut off an episode and like take a break you don't feel like you're left on a cliffhanger you know and you also they're easy to binge so it's a great show to just like watch a few episodes of at a time or to watch all at once yeah ev- that's awesome everyone i know who watches this including my wife loves it and raves about it but we have neither of us are up to date so i'm just so glad it keeps going strong no yeah. surprise there for how great the first season was lucas what are you feeling this week man this week I'm feeling a band called 8090. Um, this is one of the first bands that I've seen kind of come out from Spotify. They, they, at the time of release, they hadn't toured, they hadn't put out an album, they weren't with a, um, a studio at all. They just started releasing their stuff onto Spotify. Um, and I really like that mentality and that kind of, um, kind of new business model of just gain followers via Spotify. And if they have enough money to tour, they're going to tour. But other than that, they're just kind of making what they want. Um, I love their kind of, I guess I'd call it a hit song because it's the only one that, uh, that has gone anywhere on Spotify. It's called three 30. Quick question. How long is the song? (laughs) (laughs) That is actually a good question. I haven't, it's three minutes and 35 seconds. So no, you will not be listening to a whole song. I've had a lot of guys on dates who will make me listen to a whole song, so this is great. <laughs> <laughs> if I could go back to the foot of your bed, will I memorize every word that you said? I really notice the weight of your head, feel rise and fall with every breath. I need go out from my car, we try to point to your favorite star, like take the and just have So they have like a very stripped down style that's a little bit indie rock, a little bit Americana. It's got some very like Nashville guitars in there. Yeah. Um, with kind of a very poppy beat, um, which I love. But there's a lot of space in their songs um, just to kind of play around with. And their songwriting is great. Like lyrically, I think they have a lot, a lot of fun um, with what they're writing. It's very, a lot of visual motifs that are really cool. But, um, so they came out, it's two brothers, um, from New York city and they released that song on Spotify and then did a three song EP that's up there as well. Um, but that's really all they've done is just kind of produce stuff just for fun. They shot their own music video. Um, I think with their phones, Um, And just kind of put it up on YouTube. But they're doing a really, really interesting release style that I'm excited to follow and kind of see see how that works out for them. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's fun hearing your your take on this, because when I first heard this song, it felt maybe it's because I'm in Nashville and like so many of the radio stations are this kind of like pop country hybrid. But Mm -hmm. I was like, is this is this country is this claiming to be country music when it's really more like current electro pop or what, what exactly? Yeah, is no, I, I, I don't think they've claimed country at all. Um, I think they're claiming more like kind of poppy stuff, but they have, you can tell they have a lot of country influences. Yeah. In there. Listening to the other two songs on their EP, it was like really, you could tell it was more of an influence or an homage than a like, we have mm-hmm. just enough twang to call this country, but the rest of it is not. Like, <laughs> this is the second yeah. Shania Twain album, but we're calling it the first. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. No, but it's, 
yeah, it's a really interesting combination yeah. of genres. Yeah, I think I definitely think they're not interested in branding themselves as anything at all right now. They're just making some fun stuff and kind of seeing where it goes, which I'm I'm excited if they do a fully like produced album. Um, I'm excited to see what direction it could go because it could go. It really could go anywhere. Like if someone kind of takes them under their wing, they could go the country route or just the kind of soft rock route. But we'll see. Well, great. Thanks, Lucas. Um, Linda, what are you feeling this week? All right. I am feeling a different podcast called the Mr. Mysterio podcast, which full disclosure is a podcast one of my friends uh, writes and produces. So, and it started out of the newspaper that I work for. Look at you, uh, self-promoting. I know. <laughs> Invite me onto your podcast and let me talk about my stuff, please. Except here's the thing. <laughs> this podcast is totally worth talking about. Thank so. you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. It's not just about me. I should have thrown that in at the end. I feel like we're already talking about another podcast on this podcast. So two <laughs> other podcast promotions is probably too much, but Ooh. I think it, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so it's um, kind of started out of um, a hobo or a horoscope that was has been in the paper for about ten years now, and is just very beautifully written chunks of just life advice that's meaningful and funny, and has been one of my favorite things to read in the newspaper, um, even if I'm not you know super into horoscopes. But out of that. Uh, they have written this narrative podcast, which I'm really not a fan of narrative podcasts, but this one's really good. And it is really all about human connections and is weird and funny and definitely worth a listen. Uh, they have 12 episodes out right now, plus three holiday specials, and they come out every first and third Wednesday of the month. So um, it's definitely worth a listen they're short episodes which is nice when you're kind of getting into something so you can find more about them at mrmysterio.com that's that's what i'm feeling yeah i also listen to this podcast and have read these horoscopes and i'd like to say as someone who doesn't know really anything about horoscopes and is oftentimes annoyed by people that are like super into like what sign are you um that's such a libra thing to be annoyed by (laughs) sure i'm not a libra though um i i I really love reading these they're so beautifully written Mm -hmm. and um mr mysterio the man who writes the horoscopes and who um authors the podcast is he I, i correct me if i'm wrong linda he like calls himself an amateur um astrologist astrologist yes yes. and i think that's the perfect way to describe this because it's really not about the history or the science of horoscopes and it's more just like an excuse for really beautiful writing and like you said talking about like people and relationships and um the podcast part of it is so beautifully produced Mm -hmm. it it really reminds me of like these old-timey christian audio radio plays that i used to listen to growing up not that there's like a christian element specifically to this podcast are you talking about I adventures just, in odyssey it really does remind <laughs> yes, me yes. Adventures in odyssey. um i'm so in but in a way like cooler hipper way like not yeah that's without, not a high bar like, that's <laughs> exactly without like the self-righteousness of adventures in odyssey yeah um but yeah they're so fun to listen to and again the writing is just something that really it's beautiful. So I highly recommend this as well. 
That was a really good description. Thank That's you. Awesome. I love whenever podcasts come out like twice a month, I am so impressed by the production value of them. It's like, oh, you really took your time and got a soundboard and went out and did everything. Yeah, and they have a lot of different actors who play different characters, and it's really well done. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. How many episodes are there? 12 episodes right now, plus three holiday specials. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'm in. And which ho- which holidays? Okay. Um, um, I'm I- kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, thank you so much, Linda. That's yeah. awesome. Um for what I'm feeling this week, uh, I was thinking about it, and this is one of my, this is one of my like coins of currency when it comes to being uh, a friend who I know appreciates like movies, and it's kind of really slowly crept in. I've started telling a couple people, but I'm like really nervous about it. And the more I think about it, the more I realize like we have kind of a dedicated listenership of about 50 people. And those people download this podcast every single week. And they listen to it, and they tweet at us, and a couple people have given us iTunes reviews. Somebody, Some people have even written us emails. We're going to read an email on this very episode. Um, and so I just, I really appreciate everybody who does stick with us and everything. And so because we have this kind of small little collective, I wanted to share my favorite secret with you guys. And it is gofobo.com. So... GoFobo.com is a website where you can go and sign up and all you do is sign up and they send you emails that let you go into early screenings of movies. They, uh, for free. For free. It costs you absolutely nothing. Um, Obviously, it's a lot easier to get uh, tickets if you're in a bigger city uh, like Nashville or, you know, near LA or San Francisco or New York or Chicago or something, but... Plenty of big markets all over um, the U.S. They send you these uh, movie tickets for free. It's not just one either. It's usually for you can get up to two tickets, which you can get for free, and you can go see these movies early. I got to go see Kong Skull Island for free early. I got to go see Anchorman 2 for free early. I've gotten tickets to so many of them over the years. And it's sometimes you get a dud. Like I got one for chips. (laughs) <laughs> and, and I was like, I tried to give it away to people. I was like, hey, I'm not going to go see Chips. Does anybody else want it? And somebody was like, oh, I'm free that night. But no. <laughs> like, um, so you do get some of those. But um, as a special thank you to everyone who has listened to us this long, I wanted to let you guys know, gofobo.com is an email, or is a newsletter worth signing up for because you get all these things absolutely for free. And since I've been on it, I've also um, gotten other emails to Sony screenings and WB screenings, um, which you get even more emails from um, for free movies, and I signed up for those as well. So it's a great gateway to kind of try to get into what most of these are is their press screenings, but there's like two or three rows of press, and then the rest of them are filler so that the press can be there with an audience reacting to it as part of their uh, part of their critique. So... Go to GoFobo. You'll thank me later. Yeah, I am also a big user of this. I love it so much. Um, Some tips I want to point out for people if you are starting to, like, try to go to these screenings. Um, The biggest one is that if the movie starts at 7, let's say, you want to get there at the latest, like, 6.15. Um, 
I try to get to each screening about an hour before it starts because they give away more tickets than there are seats in the theater. So if you don't get there extra early, you won't get in and you won't get a seat. Um, so if you do start going to these, make sure to do that. Um, and also GoFobo is spelled G-O-F-O-B-O. Yes. Um, I've been using it for like two or three years now. Last year, I saw movies like Everybody Wants Some, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, The Edge of Seventeen, and most recently, I got to see Get Out for free. And um, she took me. And I took Linda. <laughs> um, and so, like, sometimes they're, like, dumb movies that they are trying to get buzz up for, but sometimes they're just really great movies that don't have the same kind of um, marketing buzz like an Avengers movie. So, um, yeah, sometimes you can see really amazing things um, through these screenings. Yeah, don't say we never did nothing for you. <laughs> <laughs> Go Fobo. Um, it's just so fun because it's also like it's a free date or a free hang with a friend or whatever it is. Even if you like, uh, if you just like movies, if it's a movie that's even decent or you thought, oh, I'd, I'd like to see that, but I don't want to pay for it. It's it's perfect. Oh, man. All right, well, let's move into our, our uh, news segment. Um the biggest news out of this week, well, not the biggest news. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world of, you know, politics, international relations. Nope, but it's the biggest news. <laughs> the biggest sure. news, as we all know, is the horrifying trailer for the Stephen King movie It, uh, the remake that was coming out, or that is uh, coming out soon. The trailer was released last Wednesday, and it garnered 197 million views. <laughs> Which is the highest Jeez. in 24 hours of all. Like, it broke the record. It's it, it was a huge jump over the last record holder, which was The Fate of the Furious, at 139 million views. Um, so it's, like, completely nuts. If you extend it to 36 hours, the number of people who watch the trailer jumps to 246 million. Like, it's bananas how many people have watched Just this. to come clean here, I did watch it 4 million times. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news right here. <laughs> most of most of that is me. <laughs> <laughs> Number manipulators. Oh man. Yeah. But no. But did you get? Did, did every, everybody saw the trailer? Right. I was too scared I, to watch the trailer because I was in a bathroom at the time. But I did watch a lot of jits about it. <laughs> you were in a bathroom at the time. You know. You know. You can church. watch it later. Well, it's not like a one-time thing. I don't know. It felt like I, it was over. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched it recently. I kind of was avoiding it because I was like, that's not my kind of movie. But then I kept hearing so much about this trailer, so I, I just recently watched it. I'm amazed you watched it, Sandra. I am too, Sandra. That two minutes and 30 seconds is scarier than entire movies I've seen before. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Sandra, you can't claim you're not a horror fan and then, because like, they're too scary, and then get on this and be like, it wasn't that scary. I just... I, I don't think it was. I like. Okay. I'm not saying that the movie isn't going to be scary or that it's not a good trailer. I thought the trailer was amazing, but like, there are definitely trailers that have scared me a lot more than this one. Hmm. I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. But I need examples. you also believe that the movie will be scary. Oh sure, right? Sure. I'm just saying okay. that this yeah. trailer yeah. didn't like make me cry or anything. Like I just watched. I was like, yeah, that's a trailer for a horror movie. It looks like a good Let's one. Let's back up for a second and talk about the trailers that have made you cry. Yeah. I want to know what movies scared <laughs> you and Lucas, because you agreed to Lucas. What movies trailers scared you more than this? I'm I'm trying to think of one specifically. I know there are, especially when I see them like in a theater. I think the ones oh, for the yeah. purge movies are pretty terrifying. Mm, yeah, those are terrifying. Yeah, this is definitely not the scariest trailer that I've that I've seen, but I think 
what what always interests me is horror movies as someone who doesn't like horror movies at all horror movies that the trailer makes me want to watch the movie right. but is also scary oh. and so this i i i had obviously never seen the old uh uh it yeah, miniseries yeah. or read the book um but so i just went on the line to Wiki, good old Wikipedia and just read the summary because <laughs> I wanted to know the story. Like I, re- like I was sure. really in- interested and invested in this story. The premise, but there is was the absolutely no shit. way I'm going to see this movie. Yeah, <laughs> the scariest shit I've ever heard of. I will say I'm obsessed <laughs> with that picture at the end where his like heads down and it's just the oh, red lip. Me and the, too. It's beautiful. And the balloon. Yeah, I'm like I want to see a movie that's not a horror movie, but that's based on that image. Yes, like, or I just want that red lip. I don't know. Yeah, I just want like <laughs> this clown becomes a beauty vlogger. Like, oh, yeah. see that movie. It the makeup tutorial. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm into it. Okay. Oh my god, she's yes. into it. This looks. This oh, <laughs> here we go. Yeah, the here movie looks really, really well done. This, I mean. This is movie is the reason people are scared of clown of clowns. Like it wasn't a big talked about phobia until this the movie came out in the eighties about this. And this trailer scared me so much. Like it is the scary to me, it is the scariest trailer I've ever seen. And y'all are nuts and I don't understand your bravery. Huh. <laughs> um, so are you planning on seeing this movie? Yes. Okay. And the reason I is I want to know what you think of the comparisons that have been made to Stranger Things, like the the Stranger Things vibe that people are getting from this trailer. I definitely see that vibe. I think they're capitalizing on it, and I think that's really smart. Um, But I, the reason I, I have to see this movie is because when I see a trailer, I know that there's more. It's kind of like my brain can imagine what this is. And it will always concoct things that are scarier than what it actually is. So if I watch the whole thing all the way to the end, usually the monster dies or like something bad. It just it ends and it's okay. And then I'm like, oh well, that's the entirety of the thing. And so I can put it to rest in my imagination because I have watched this trailer many, many times now, even though it's the scariest thing I've ever seen. Because I want to just like take it out of the abstract in my brain and into the reality of the screen. I don't I don't think horror movies end happily. I think every every horror movie I've seen ends with like a yeah, they're all right, but something dark is coming. Not every you horror know. movie. Or yeah, they're all right, but everyone else is dead. Right, but they're all dead and now yeah. it's over. <laughs> <laughs> so the good news is it's over. Yeah. That's that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for closure. This is why I watch You're looking for the movie to end. Yes, I want to watch the whole movie so that it can end. It's it's the same reason that I run, so that I can have finished <laughs> running. <laughs> like, I hate running the good entire time, but afterwards I have run, <laughs> and that's a good thing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right, well, uh, feel free to let us know what you thought of the It trailer um, and to let everyone else know that they should receive medals for their bravery or that I'm a wuss or whatever. <laughs> um <laughs> We uh, usually we don't talk about this until the very end of the podcast, but I'll go ahead and drop it here now. If you send us a tweet at Feeling It Pod or an email at Feeling It, uh, no at sign, just send an email to Feeling It Pod at gmail.com. <laughs> um, we keep track of those and we reply to those, and we really appreciate people who take the time to write in. Um, so, on that note, we wanted to read a uh, email that we got from Ken talking about uh, replying to whenever we were talking about. Uh, remakes. 
Ken, let us know about several remakes that we did not know already had existed, which is great. We love to, you know, we can't know everything despite our appearance of supreme knowledge. Uh, so always getting like fact corrections and those kind of things is awesome. Um, but the thing that we wanted to talk about in particular was he wrote, and I'll quote, I have to disagree um, about the opinion of the RoboCop remake. This was another situation where I felt that the world had changed in a way that made the story compelling. Like the movie told us with a heavy hand, we live in a world with drone warfare and police militarization and privatization of industries that should not be motivated by profit. Also, we're seeing a lot of soldiers come back from unending war with PTSD, and they're surviving massive injuries and amputation, uh, and the uh, technology to deal with that is increasing. Robotics, prosthesis, uh, particularly with 3D printing, etc. I liked how the remake dealt with the question of what makes you human, how much of a body and what kind of a body makes you human. When you're being programmed to be a soldier, they're programming the conscience out of you. How do you know what you're really thinking are your own thoughts? Or the idea of government or corporations just projecting the illusion of a conscience in order to appease weary populace. And especially using wounded veterans to sell war because even if we hate war, we can't shit on wounded veterans, so they use them as human shields even if they've been active even if they've actually been shot. Now I think of it has a new now I think it has a new form of relevance in the wake of Donald Trump using a dead soldier he put into harm's way to prop him up and give him legitimacy. I think the new Robocop had a lot of interesting things to say. They just weren't the same things the original said. End quote. And Ken I really appreciate your perspective on that. Uh, the movie seemed like a pretty soulless money grab, and I, I didn't even finish watching it. So thinking about it through that lens and through those uh, themes, I think you're right. I think even though the police state and all of these um, you know themes existed in the 80s, like that was part of it, a lot of it, the themes there were a lot more about like technology and um, think themes that are a lot more worn out now. So it's encouraging to see that, to hear that as the movie went on, that you got some, some more interesting stuff out of it. Lucas, what are you, what yeah, are your thoughts on? I've, yeah, I, I think those are all the best things of the movie that it did try to explore those things. I don't think it did it as well as it could have. Mm. And I think a lot of that comes down to the PG 13 rating of that movie to lean into that kind of stuff. I think you have to, I mean, do a lot more of the PS, a lot more of the PTSD work and like take a look at what that lifestyle looks like. And I think this movie actually could have done a lot better going into that if it had gotten an R rating. But I think they wanted to keep it a little more commercial, keep it a little more um, available for people and tone down a lot of that stuff. So I thought it was it ended up being more generic than it should have been. Yeah. But I, I definitely don't think it's one of the worst movies ever. It's definitely better than Total Recall, which we talked about. Yeah. Um, but I still don't think it accomplished as much as the original did. It really it needs to be RoboCop, not PG-13 O-Cop. You know what I'm saying? The R needs to be there. So... Um, that, that, that was a lot of work to get there. That's very a lot important. of work. Nope, you shouldn't laugh at that. I'm that was so not good. Sorry, <laughs> y'all. Linda is coming as backup for my amazing jokes. This is why I got out. invited. Lawson's like, she'll laugh at all the things I say. Lawson, like, yeah. you can't just bring on people to laugh at your jokes. I need you somebody can't do who's that. a generous laugher, someone with joy in their heart. It holds our friendship together. So it does. Oh man. Um, 
I would still be your friend even if you didn't laugh. I want you to know that. Silence for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, thank you so much for that email. We really appreciated hearing from you. And if anyone else ever has a lengthy thing to say to us about something that we're talking about, we would love to hear it. So feel free to email us as well. Especially if you disagree with us. And especially if you disagree with us. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, now we're going to move into our main topic, talking about the S-Town podcast. But before we do, um, it's my understanding that, Sandra, you have been saving it uh, for later, and rather than have it spoiled for you, you're going to take off. Absolutely. So y'all enjoy. I'll talk to y'all later. Bye. All right. So S-Town, which is short for Shit Town, is a podcast from the producers of This American Life in Serial, hosted by Brian Reed. Uh, every episode is currently topping the podcast charts. Uh, we're a close second, but uh, <laughs> it's like number one slot, episode one, number two slot, episode two of S-Town. Um, but yeah, they're all over everywhere and are really, really up there uh, with the original serial when it came out in terms of kind of public consciousness. So we wanted to take a chance to talk. At first, we'll talk uh, sans spoilers and then just all the way spoiled um, to discuss and kind of decompress after listening to this seven-hour-long piece of uh, long-form journalism and storytelling. So uh, before we get into kind of what we thought of the podcast itself, I want to know what you guys thought of this kind of Netflix-style distribution of dropping them all at once. Uh, this American Life and Serial hasn't done that yet. Um, I know there's pros and cons to it. What, what did you guys think? I, I I liked it, especially for a story like this. Again, I don't want to go into detail about the story, but this is the kind of situation where you do want to um, drop it all at once. I know we talk a lot about, about binging um, and how that affects Netflix and how that affects uh, your kind of views on a TV show. Um, I've never done it on a podcast before. I've never binged a, pod a podcast before this one. Um, and I think for certain ones, it's definitely not a good idea, but I think it, this is a format that I can get used to. I really didn't think I would like it. And then I listened to them all in one day. So I guess I did. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was nice while you're listening to it to know that it's final and it's complete. I think it helps with mm -hmm. the storytelling aspect of it. And... Um, it was kind of nice to know uh, or to rem remember that it wasn't happening now and it was all in the past and they're talking about it now. Whereas if you're coming from it after listening to Serial or even some um, This American Life episodes where they're more current, it was kind of nice to remember that it was all from like a year or two ago. Right. Like the right. first season of Serial was like, well, I guess there's new developments today <laughs> we were recording this five minutes <laughs> after there was some new piece of evidence presented and yeah it's nice for that it was really contained how how um you, linda you said you listened to it in a day mm -hmm. i listened to it in one day too lucas how quickly did you same okay, okay yeah yeah day day one yeah and all oh. i'm with a show like the original season of serial i liked it being week by week so i felt like it really let you talk about it and mull over everything but with the second season of Serial, I almost wish that they had done it like this because that season, I don't know if you guys listened to it, had so many characters yeah. and mm -hmm. so much going on. I think it would have benefited from, I would have been able to keep everything in my head better 
if it had been all at one time. Right. I I think it would have worked better because also that was a I mean, that's a show that was being produced week to week and then it stretched to every other week um, and it just didn't have, I think, the dynamics that the first right. season had. Um, and that kind of mystery aspect, it was more of just kind of exploring a certain guy's situation. And I think that works better as almost as a book, like with just chapters. Yeah. Um, I kind of like what you said, Linda, like knowing that there is an ending, that this was how it was created and this is how it works. And so when you're jumping in, you know exactly that the creator had a vision and completed it to their vision. So what did you guys think? Overall, like if we can talk around all, I don't know how much we'll be able to get to without completely spoiling it, mm-hmm. but what did you guys think of, uh, of the podcast after listening to the whole thing? Well, I do think I, I just want to give kind of an overview of the general, I, I guess, again, I don't know how much I can say about this podcast, but um, the main character in this podcast is it's a guy named John who um, in his Alabama town who decides something's up and he wants to talk to a producer, a radio producer about it. Um, and kind of, they form this relationship and it's a lot about kind of how this works out. But I think this podcast gives a view of, I guess, Southern rural America that felt genuine and didn't feel like, I feel like Again, bringing everything back to the election. But um, I feel like after the election, there's a lot of, hey, get to know middle America and get to know um, the, you know, Trump voters and that kind of thing. And that's not something that is very easy to do without coming across as the reason we're doing this is, you know, to show their perspective. But I feel like we really got to meet a lot of characters and get to know people in this podcast um, with a certain way of thinking that's not mine. But um without it feeling it felt really genuine it didn't feel forced at all yeah i completely agree i i loved how real it was like some threads connected and others didn't and i kind of loved that and like the people were really complex uh the perspectives that they gave were like understandable from multiple sides and some of the stuff that i sometimes struggle with about pieces like this is it can uh, narrativize somebody's story to the point of it feeling like a little bit exploitative and I felt like this one really towed the line on that like it did not it didn't go into exploitative I felt like it was kind of uh, a very uh, careful caring tribute from somebody who cared enough to try to give as much context as they could I might disagree with you a little bit about that but no that's fine let's talk about (laughs) spoiling too much um oh yeah i don't know that i can really talk too much specifically about it i did love the podcast and i loved how narrative narrative it was and i loved the clock metaphor meaning so much Mm -hmm. way more than i expected it to um and like the way things i mean it was just it was a beautiful story and the way that it weaves in and out Mm -hmm. was really compelling yeah the last yeah. 90 seconds of this podcast, like, gave me chills. Me too. <laughs> it was just, it was oh. so... And not and not in, like, a mystery, like, reveal way. Just in a beautiful story, like, way to tell a story. Yeah, just like the way, way they put I it think. together. It was like, oh, you, are, you guys are the best at this. Like, the final mm-hmm. knot tied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I, I think from a journalistic perspective, like the amount of hours of audio that you have to sift through to, to find this story is incredible. And the fact that he did this, I mean, this was what, 2014? So he's been he's been working on this for a long time. And I think this is incredible. I think it's really such good journalism and such a huge amount of hard work. It is so much work. Yeah, I can't imagine going through all of this, like, because so much happens, like, choosing the story threads and choosing the characters that you focus on and choosing what to do with this. Like, editing this is a feat into itself. Just knowing how many mm-hmm. conversations and how many long phone calls he had. Mm-hmm. Good grief. Right. Like, he would... This isn't... I don't feel like this is a spoiler. You guys correct me. We can cut it out if you think it is. But he talks about having, like, five-hour conversations with the main character. And he'll pick out, like, 20-second clips from those to illustrate the fact that he had a five-hour conversation. I'm just like, yeah. damn, <laughs> how did you sort through all that? Yeah. Oh, man. So it's, in, yep. it's incredible. I think... Um, Brian Reed and all of the other producers that it was hosted by Brian Reed, but everyone else who worked on this just did such an incredible job. And I, mm-hmm. I think before we jump into spoilers, cause I think most of our conversation will probably be in spoilers. Um, I just wanted to say that the music for this spectacular, the <laughs> scoring was incredible. Yeah. Um, the, the, what was it? No one, a rose for Emily, a rose for Emily. Yeah was so good and I loved how thematically tied it was to the story overall it was just like a gorgeous way to end every episode and throughout everything all the different instrumentation that really found a sense of place um in the deep south where all the interviews were taking place um without you know falling into stereotypes like it was a very new and inventive and intriguing score I was just very impressed by it yeah I thought it was beautiful and their web marketing as well, if you went to the website at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Gorgeous gosh. website. All right. Well, let's talk spoilers. Um, for anyone who hasn't listened to it, uh, we're going to be talking about stuff from all seven episodes. So if you're only part of the way through, I cannot promise that this will be a chronological conversation. So um, pause it now, finish it. It's worth listening to Unspoiled. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, come back to us. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No, cracking gas. Spoilers! Remember, you wanted this. Okay, so I want to just kind of open up the floor generally. Um, the first question that I had, but we can move off of this for sure, is what? how did it strike you, the stories, as the story moved from being like a murder mystery to being kind of this tragic character study. Like, what did you think of that? Moment? I think because I thought it was going to be a murder mystery the whole time. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how he sets it up is that like, Hey, there's a murder in this town. This guy wants it investigated. And so that's kind of what you go in thinking this is going to be. Um, and it's a little bit of a bait and switch, I think. And, and uh, so too. when I first heard it, I, I was, I was kind of annoyed. I was like, okay, this is, you kind of did that to set us up to where we're going to listen to this now because we are invested. But um, I feel like that's the only way to start this series is because this is how they met. This is how this relationship mm-hmm. started. And there's no way to to talk about this relationship with this guy without going into that because that's that's a whole part of it. 
And again, for, for a long time, he still doesn't know if a murder actually happened. And I mean, obviously, finally, he, you know, he figures out that it didn't. But I don't think there's a way into this guy's life that's not through that, that first introduction. I remember in the first, I think it was both the first and the second episode, I was like, what is, I had no idea where it was going. And I was like, there's seven chapters of this. Like, <laughs> something's <Yeah. laughs> about to happen, I guess. So I was, yeah. Yeah, it's, it was such a, it felt like a bait and switch to me too. But I was really kind of, you're right. It was such a perfect point of entry in all these people because it sets up so many characters it sets up the sense of place like you have to know why he that he met him this way to as soon as you know that that's how they met you understand something fundamentally fundamental to who he is and i think i thought mm-hmm. oh this must be really good if what's you know talked about as the main part or the main story of this didn't exist and there's seven episodes left so it's something must have happened <laughs> yeah they must have found a story that they thought was better also i was happy that no one got murdered <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think that i wasn't too upset about how it. pleasant is that yeah <laughs> i guess i'm the only one who's annoyed uh, <laughs> <laughs> more murder please more murder. but i i honestly did think that it was going to come possibly back around to murder again um i mean we, we we find out he died at the end of episode two um And I feel like at some point there, because I was still stuck on the murder that was presented in the first episode, that kind of in the back of my head, there was still that possibility. And I think that's a possibility that the characters, that the, that the other characters in this, uh, in this, I calling it a a radio show, but um, in this story kind of felt. And I think that was important as well. Just having that be still be a possibility um, that this could be a murder story. Yeah, I think it was masterful storytelling because it was really like, at a certain point, that's still more character development. Telling the story that way is still more character development because it's giving us a vantage point into what these different character or people, like I say characters, but they're people, um, were thinking and like what their perspectives were. Um, what was the guy's name? Uh, the John's best friend. Is it Tyler? Tyler, yeah. Um, about how, you know, Tyler thought that these cousins from out of state were so terrible, but then when he got a chance to talk to the cousins from out of state, um, their perspective made so much sense. I, you know, you said like, oh, you th- I thought it was still going to be murder. I, I did too for a while because they set up all these people as kind of like negative, e- e- ephemeral people in the background, like just shadowy folks. And uh, I felt like the reality of it was so much more interesting and um i don't know i just really liked that this didn't tie up in a neat tidy bow like there weren't good guys and bad guys and the you know intrepid reporter didn't find and expose the bad guy to the saving of the good guy like it was just like they went to the deep south and talked to somebody who is such a developed person and a person that's so unique to himself but also like the way he talked and the kind of language he used like I felt like I knew that guy like I don't know if you guys got that but like I felt like oh I knew this reminds me so much of the way that the people in the town that my grandparents grew up in um they talk with all of this like colorful metaphor and language and sayings and the fact that he calls his town shit town the fact that he calls drinking with his buddies and uh doing those repeated tattoos church like just having a name for everything 
that's so localized, I feel like isn't a thing you come across in a bunch of people, but there's so much flavor to it and it's so interesting. Yeah, I don't, it's definitely not something I related to at all. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I didn't, I mean, I, yeah, it was not, I mean, I don't have, none of my relatives are from the South at all. And so I don't have like anybody that that, you know, connects me with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, people I guess I have seen before and also I will say this the Alabama accent is my least favorite accent <laughs> and I have I, I I have said this before this podcast so this is not like my first run-in with this accent it just well as soon as it started I was like oh no this takes place in Alabama okay here we go I'm gonna have to strap in for this accent um but I got used to it but yeah uh, I, I mean no offense to anybody coming from Alabama I mean if you have the accent, it's what you got. But I mean, there's nothing really you can do about it, except there is. You can you can do something about it. But <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I like li- listening to these people talk. We got a lot of different people from Alabama, and that's what I loved. We got a lot of different, um, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different ideologies and um, backgrounds as well. And I think I. I l- absolutely loved that because now I think when I, now when I think of Alabama that this is what I'm going to end up thinking yeah. of and just the I I think being able to have these deep dives into these little, you know, cultures. I think an interesting part is how deprecating he was of the town and of where he ca- came from. I think that's something that I that I see a lot is people from smaller towns will will say a lot of deprecating things about their town that they love and won't leave. Um, and to outsiders that it's a very, you know, there's an us versus them mentality. And I, I just thought that was so interesting that that's, that's, that's one way that a lot of people in this story kind of approach the town is you either get super aggressive, um, to outsiders or you're very deprecating of yourself, Mm. um, to kind of match, possibly match the outsider's perspective of, of your, your place, which I thought was so so interesting here yeah linda you said you pushed back on before we were fully in spoilers on uh this feeling i felt like it wasn't exploitative but i would love to hear why you maybe thought that it kind of was well i've been reading a lot of think pieces or as much as i can find and because i'm so interested both coming from a journalism background right and just like a human background who works with other humans in different situations Mm -hmm. um and I saw a story on Vox that was, the headline is, S-Town is a stunning podcast, it shouldn't have been made. And I kind of related a little bit to that, as much as I love it, and I don't even think I realized the ethical concerns that I had until after it was over, and I was talking to a friend who has kind of had a lot more than I did, because I think I overlooked some things because of how much I loved the story. Yeah, and what kind of thing? the narrative. But I think, I mean, I don't, I think the pro- the biggest problem I have is him outing John and talking to oh um, yeah the I guess friend friend or kind of I don't know what the the man's name was oh, that yeah. they kind of the... dated or I guess been in love with yeah and mm-hmm. I it's hard for me to feel like it's justified for him to have outed him to the world. Mm. I think is the hardest thing I have or the biggest problem. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely agree with you there. That, that did make me uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, and he, he gave a couple of reasons why 
um, he felt like it was it was okay to do with it, and it was okay to do it. And John also said in a couple instances that a lot of people, you know, thought he was gay or assumed he was gay, but it wasn't something that John ever publicly said to anybody. Um, and so when it started to become a part of the podcast, it definitely made me a little uncomfortable that they were doing this after his death, kind of without his permission kind of a situation. And I didn't know how, I mean, it was interesting to know that about him, I suppose, but I don't know how essential it was to understanding him or it, like the amount of depth that they went into. I don't know that, I don't know. I don't know that it was necessary. Yeah, there kind of was like a whole episode on his love life and there were so many things uh, interesting about him separate from that. Um but yeah, I, I didn't even think about it that way, and I, I feel kind of embarrassed about that. But it was be, I think it was because the guy that they interviewed, who had been such a big part of his life for so long, was such, like, an amazing person. Like, I was just so into the uh, the interview that he gave and kind of the, the honesty with which he spoke, and he was just so kind of sweet and kind and soft-spoken that I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about the larger implications of that but I think that's a very yeah that's a very valid critique the other thing that I was feeling a little weird or I've been feeling a little weird about I've also been going back through and listening to it this week in either chunks Mm -hmm. or different episodes just because I listened to it so quickly before Mm -hmm. um and then I kind of just they kind of throw in at the end about the basic like that he has mercury poisoning right so when I'm listening to it again I'm kind of doing it under a lens or through a lens, like, oh, how mentally ill is this person? And how much oh, is shit. he, like, he might be consenting to the yeah. interviews and, like, wanting these, but how stable is this person? And can he decide that? I don't know. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that either. Yeah, I, I, I know, especially... And also, that is really interesting, or it, I don't know, when I'm going back and listening to it under that, it just makes a lot of sense on how things happen and Mm -hmm. yeah and especially the way the way that um i guess his family talked about him i I, like the cousins um it it didn't seem like not necessarily that he was in a bad situation but that they i i don't think they thought that he was well and i think he's mentally always been a little weird and he even when they talk (laughs) about his time in college and before that and like had been bullied and been picked on yeah that's the impression that i got is that he was a person who was really kind of eccentric who also experienced bouts of anxiety and depression based on this. So I, I didn't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I Most of the people I th- that I know have experienced depression, I would still say, are like, you know, able to sign releases or whatever. I don't but, think it was the depression. I think it was would, the like no. physical, mental collapse from mercury poisoning. Right. Like physically, like affecting your brain, not just like he was depressed. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I definitely think. Yeah, once because I, I figured that. I mean, obviously there were social issues as well. Um, but when when they finally did bring up the the fact that he probably had mercury poisoning, and that was a, I mean that takes a huge mental. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Mad as a hatter. Yeah, and so, and so just the fact that yeah we're gonna tell this story. I mean, knowing the knowing that he probably did have some some mental issues based on based on mercury poisoning, is 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 huge. And really, really not having, I guess they, that that wasn't something that they brought up. That this is the reason they they talked about why they were kind of 
talking about his sexuality and everything, but not so much the fact that we are telling this story about a, I don't know, I, I don't want to call him like a diseased man, but like a man who has has issues and I don't know, might not might not actually want to do or have this kind of thing told because the, I mean, his whole mindset the 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 t- when he originally asked this guy to come out and interview was, I want you to investigate a mur- murder, not I want you to dig into my life. Right, right. <laughs> so the fact that the story changed, I don't know. I will say he is also pretty forthcoming with a lot of things, and I think obviously knew he was being recorded and says a lot of just like very blatant, like when he's peeing into the sink yeah, and like just describes himself. Yeah. So I, I don't know that he was just like a shy reserved person who then after he died, it's like, let's tell all about his life. And I think there is, I feel like I love John as a, a person when I'm listening to everything he has to say. And he reminds me so much of people that I have known through working in uh, my job, which is, working with people experiencing homelessness and just like all different types of people that I have met. And I think that there is really a a lot of beauty in his story and who he is. Um, And I I love the idea of looking into someone's life and like getting and like learning something from it. And the idea that like even my life could be something that someone or a whole lot of people would find interesting and like kind of the, like you can find an interesting thing or a lesson or a, meaningful something with whoever it is and for that part I like I think sometimes because of his because of a couple things in particular I just wonder if I don't know it's hard because yeah. you don't know you can't yeah. tell him or you can't go talk to him and be like hey what did you <laughs> think of this podcast yeah like you go with this right so, exactly but I agree and I think I, I and I think that's all that it comes down to for me is in the end that he wasn't there to kind of okay this story and <laughs> or I I want to yeah. know from like Brian Reed the man who mm-hmm. who hosted and put it together and was I mean very was a friend of his kind of uh, I don't know like what what he ever thought or I mean but I also think like as a journalist like best case scenario you trust him to decide that this was something that he right. wanted right. and he, his right. family is giving interviews and all the people mm-hmm. are talking, so I guess you have to, or you can assume that people yeah. who were close to him thought that it was something that he wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or it was the, like, fuck it mentality that they talk about throughout <laughs> two right. right. like, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was so, such a lo- I def- loving portrait. I agree with you that it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's problematic, but I, I totally, I also agree with what you were talking about with um, it being such a, a worthwhile that this person is worthwhile. And so telling their story and seeing the beauty in it and really um, looking into and, and uh, putting into, like, lyrical, edited, with backdrop music form, it kind of makes you think, like, oh, every, every life you could find this in. Like, this is worth, mm-hmm. every life is worth this wonderful thing. And you can find so many people to interview and talk about to say that someone made an impact on them. Yeah. I would, I would, I would say that it was worth it, um, but I, because I absolutely loved it and got a lot out of it. I just think while I was listening to it, there were a few moments where I was like, "Oh, I don't know how I feel about this yeah. exact thing that you're sharing." But um, yeah, overall, I think it's a fantastic podcast and a fantastic piece of journalism for sure. Well, and just the way I can't, I didn't realize how much the clocks 
would come in. Yes. And I love the way they yeah. did that. And the way that, like, you, when they're talking at, at, about it at the beginning, how, like, putting together or restoring an old clock is confusing and complicated. And you don't know if you're chasing something down or working on something that is just completely wrong. And it was exactly how this podcast was. Yes. And there were so many times when I'm listening to a chapter and I'm like, wait a second, did they... Fi- like finish talking about this treasure like did they find treasure or like who i don't know there's all these loose ends that i was kind of th- I was right thinking about, like did we ever figure that out or find that out <laughs> Which, yeah, i mean I, I do think tyler found treasure yeah i'll say you? that i bet he did i think i do think i do think tyler found gold yeah, i hope he did <laughs> as, uh linda i'm very interested as uh would you say you're a self-described junk person Junk person? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So as far as in the world of collectibles and everything, did this have any special resonance with you, like people reaching out across the like states and everything to be like, oh, you can fix this clock or, oh, you're enthusiastic about this stuff? Um. Well, I know that for me, I love people who collect junk and I love hanging out in thrift stores <laughs> and hearing about people who know a lot more about stuff than I do. And it's interesting that because he talks about how... I guess John has a lot of long phone calls with people mm-hmm. and then the reporter, you know, talks to these people for the first time for like hours. And I feel like that's how I always feel when I'm in a junk store. It's so easy just to talk to people about stuff that they like or are interested in. Yeah. So that part of it, I really like too. But yeah, I love that. Like that community that so many people in the world, I mean, of course me, so many people in the world completely, completely oblivious to and then finding out that, like, no, there's this whole collection of people that are so passionate about clocks and restoring these clocks. And that John was, like, a legend within that community. Right? How I mean, it is really interesting. He really is such an interesting person. Yeah. I Yeah. I I almost wish we'd they'd talked more about clocks at the beginning. Just about, uh, really about John's, um, I guess, abilities with clocks. But it makes so much sense that they left that till the end till really the end right. um, to dive into um, from a story perspective. But I just wanted to hear so much more about that, yeah. <laughs> about that part of his life. It's almost like a reveal. Like he starts off the whole thing talking about clocks mm-hmm. and he introduces John as a clockmaker, and, but then they don't say yeah. anything else about it. And then once you get to the end and listen to it again, it's like, Oh yeah, you were telling us all along. Can we go back to the treasure aspect? Because I <laughs> yes. do you really think that Tyler found it? And when do you think he found I th- it? There's a, there's a point where he, he, he said, or what, what, where Brian said, if you found it, I don't know if you should tell me. Okay. Because I'd have to put it, put it in this thing. Right. And I, and I, I definitely think that that was a point. I, like, I don't think he, he told Brian. And there was also another point where he told him to turn off the microphone. And I, I think that the amount like the relationship that they had and with as orderly and I mean, in a particular way, he was orderly, but how John was very meticulous about his money and that kind of thing. I don't think he would have gone through. I mean, he had a suicide note ready to go. And the fact that he went through all that and it was just waiting, I don't think he would have gone through all that without a plan for his money. Okay. That's how I I feel too, but he doesn't have a will. And they talk to the lawyer, he does. and the lawyer says he never finished it. So in my head, I'm right. thinking maybe he like speaks this language of having a plan, like having this whole thing thought out, but like in typical John fashion, it's not really finished. It's all in his head. 
all like completed it. He documents everything. He just doesn't trust anyone. And okay. so I don't think he would have gone through the the process of having a will with a lawyer and doing all this stuff. Um, I mean, he had the process of who to like, here are the people you need to call for like when I do oh. die. And this is, um, this is what you need to do with my dogs. Like that, that kind of stuff. And the fact that he wouldn't have done something like that for his money, I think it would have been an off the books thing, but I think it would have been something that Tyler found. Do you think he, it was in the freezer? Like they said? I don't know if it was in the freezer. I have no idea. I think I think that's a little too, it's a little too uh, obvious. Yeah. What is the yeah, Faye? Is I, it I, Faye who's the town clerk the, that yeah. he calls when he's... Okay. I don't know what's up with yeah, her. She, she also seems shady. <laughs> like, she seems yeah. like someone who lies to people that like to... that Or tells people what they want to hear. And so... Mm-hmm. Because I feel like there's so much mystery surrounding her. With the way that mm-hmm. certain people say they didn't get called, and then yep, I don't know. She's she's perplexing to me. Like with a city that size, I could see one of two things. One, she did everything that she said. Like I tried to call, I thought I left a message. People just didn't have a voicemail box set up. Whatever it was. The other, which I find far more likely, is that because she is in a position to know a lot of things in a very small town, she uses that as capital and gets a lot of enjoyment out of the distribution of her knowledge to people, like, for town gossip or distributing things the way she wants to know. Like, I just, I think that could definitely be something I see somebody in that role relishing. I get that, but then what would her motive be to not tell his friends from out of state? Like all of the clock. I think I think it has to do more with the fact that she was on the phone with him when he died, and there was a lot of shock that went into and that. Trauma, yeah. But then, how embarrassing is it to have not gone and like done everything he asked, like call these people? Like sure. I probably wouldn't have called anybody just because I was in shock and like didn't think about it and didn't it didn't come up until some journalist comes and talks to you about it. And at that point, I can totally see her just saying like, "Yep, I did it." Yeah. <laughs> Lucas, I'm just over so. here thinking of a caricature, and you're thinking of a real person who would have experienced <laughs> trauma. <laughs> you know me, thinking like real people. Yep. <laughs> Wanting there to be more murder in the podcast and giving people yeah. to get through trauma credit. Well, and anytime someone <laughs> dies, I think you want more answers than you ever get, or you want more resolution mm-hmm. because it's just a painful thing. Mm. So yeah. perhaps that's why... Because there's so much miscommunication that you can yeah. see between Tyler, between the cousins, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. from each perspective. Yep. So uh, I think it's because really the, the story is about people grieving. The majority of it is about what do you do in the aftermath of all of this. That is poetic and yep. so true. And that, I, that's, I think, such a big part of what I loved about this podcast as it ended was that there, it was so unresolved and incomplete and, in that respect, very authentic. Like it Definitely. Felt real. Yep. Guys, I liked this. This was fun. <laughs> good. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm thinking about things that I would not have thought of on my own, and I'm so thankful. Is there anything else that you guys want to touch on before we wrap up? I will say that I wrote binge potting in my notes, and I forgot <laughs> to say that. So you can edit that in. It's <laughs> a new term I've created. Episode 47, yes. Binge Potting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, oh, thank man. you guys so much for uh, having this conversation, especially you, Linda. Oh, Appreciate you coming on the me. podcast. Um, yeah. 
if you want to continue the conversation with us, feel free to, as I said earlier, reach out to us on Twitter at feelingitpod or sending us an email. Um, also, leave us a review on iTunes so we can finally get above S-Town. We're just so close. <laughs> just so almost there. Right on the <laughs> um, oh. But yeah, uh, Linda, if someone was going to find you on the internet to say, hey, where would they go? Um, the best place to go is my Twitter account, probably, which is just oh. at Linda J. Bailey. There's also a link to my bathroom blog, which is also found on Medium. Oh, it's so good, you guys. Linda J. Bailey. It's really just me talking about bathrooms and uh, my anxiety about them. It's better than that. It's better than that. She sound. rates them all over town. She <laughs> gives very specific and important criteria for different bathrooms around town. It's beautiful writing. Thank you. <laughs> I endorse it highly. Oh man, Lucas, where can we find you? I'm, no, I'm, I'm not. Yes, whatever. Uh you can, you can find me on Twitter at Lucas and stuff. Um, if I'm not tweeting about Fast and the Furious anymore, <laughs> I have no idea what I'll be tweeting about. <laughs> and you can find me uh, on Twitter or Instagram at Lawson West. And you can find Sandra, who vacated the podcast earlier, at Sandra Amstutz. She spells her name A M S T U T Z. Cute. That was really cute. <laughs> We've got it down. I, I would have done it with you. We can do it again, all three of us. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you. Adios. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. Hey guys, it's Sandra. Um, after I left, I realized that I wasn't going to be around to rave about Linda's bathroom blog that I hope she mentioned at the end of the show. This is something that I love reading. I love it so much. Um, I think everyone should follow Linda on Twitter and Medium so that you can also read whenever she posts reviews of bathrooms. And because I love it so much, I wanted to do a reading of one of her posts. This is of the bathroom for the movie theater, The Bell Court, which is a theater that we've often mentioned on the podcast because Lawson and I go there a lot. So this is titled The Bell Court Theater, Third Stall from the Left. Whenever someone asks me about my thoughts on the Bell Court renovations, the first thing I talk about is the bathroom, which is cliche, I know, because everyone gave them shit about their old bathroom being too small, cramped, and not handicap accessible. It's an easy thing to bring up as an improvement, so I like to take the conversation further because I don't just like the Belcourt bathroom because it's better than the old one. I like it because of the monochromatic color scheme, the six roomy stalls I've never had to wait in line for, the one large trough sink with three faucets and the full body mirror. I like it because I once met a woman in there who helped me think through Tom Ford's 2016 thriller Nocturnal Animals. We were both left underwhelmed. I like that it's well lit and they have paper towels instead of hand dryers. I like that it's a bathroom where I always feel like I can take my time. And most of all, I like it because I just dropped a water bottle in my stall and it rolled under the partition to the woman next to me who helped me navigate what we even do in this situation. And this post is so long because I'm not ready to face her and I'm waiting for her to wash her hands and leave.